Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of Encourage, Build, Grow. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited today because I've got, actually, he's a good friend of mine. He's somebody that I've worked with in the past for several years and someone that I think very highly of and someone that I think after you've listened to him today, he will become one of your new friends. And that gentleman's name is Dawson Ferco. And Dawson is the co-founder as well as vice president of business development for corporate tax advisors. And if that doesn't excite you, Dawson is also an IRS enrolled agent. So, you know, if those, that three letter comp organization ever comes to you knocking on your door, he's the kind of guy that you want to have in your back pocket if, if things go south quickly when it comes to your taxes. But, but we, we, won't, we won't get into that today. What we are going to focus on, though, is the whole focus around what corporate tax advisors does. And for a lot of you in the design industry that, that think that you don't have the ability, that, that don't think that the work that you do is based on research and development, think again. I think it's what Dawson is going to talk about today is going to really open your eyes to what can be with regard to certain tax credits that may be available to you but you are either not aware of or you're not taking advantage of. So without further ado, Dawson, how are you doing, man? It's so good to catch up with you. Hey, it's great to talk to you too, Randy. Quite an entrance. I'm even excited to hear what I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, listen, man, the way we always start these off is certainly I want, want you to give people just a quick cliff note version of your background and your superhero origin story. Tell everybody what makes Dawson Ferco so great besides all the money and all the, um, the tax loopholes that you're able to um, identify for design professionals. Yeah, you bet. I I guess at my core, concerning my title is business development, what makes me tick is just relation. A relationship is story. Certainly there's work that there's a derivative in, in, in work, but most of it starts out with just communicating with people, learning what they're trying to accomplish and seeing if what I do can help them get to where they want to be. Because certainly if, if I have the ability to do so, and ultimately, my goals are going to follow in close lockstep with them. So it's just the nature of being a business developer, networking, finding out what's uh, the arrows that are hitting a business owner, shareholder, stakeholder, etc. It's, it's good to know those things and see how I can help. Relative to my background, though, it, we're going to talk about this thing called the research and uh, design, research and development tax credit, and some other other incentives that might be a benefit to your audience. But Though I've been at this 16 years, my career started in high tech, technology, business development, and I kind of fell into this uh, consulting arena around the R&D tax credit just because of my network. You know, I've got, gosh, gaggles, if that's a word, of of industry contacts, certain channels, certain segments. And I learned about these favorable areas of the tax code and was just a natural dovetail in re-energizing my network around something that excited me. That was something that, that was a benefit to the companies I was working for at the time. And it just ended up being a natural evolution into being one of the founders and, and the catalyst for starting corporate tax advisors. I've been with a number of firms over the last, I guess, 16 or 17 years that I've been in this space. And as a, as a frontline business development guy, there a lot of things I saw that I liked, and a lot of things I saw that I didn't like. And ultimately, it it grew into uh, this idea that there's a better way, there's a better approach in partnering with businesses and raising education and raising awareness and not just being a transactional organization, being more relational, being more client-centric as opposed to fee-centric. And it's been exceptionally beneficial. It's exceptionally 
powerful for our growth. Yeah, and, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because you, two things that you brought up, and I, I want to really unpack this whole thing that you guys do at CTA or Corporate Tax Advisors, but you said specifically education and awareness. When it comes to education, are you always, are you surprised, and I know we were just talking before we started the podcast, that you know, you're, you're here, there, and everywhere. You're constantly moving around the country, meeting with clients. Are you surprised at the lack of awareness in these research and development tax credits that are available to design firms? What are your thoughts about that? I mean, I, I know you do this every day, but I mean, are you surprised that there's just a, just a lack of awareness about what's possible when it comes to these, these, um, these tax credits? Yeah, you know, I'm not an attorney, but I think I'll answer as an attorney. And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> you know, and let's start with no relative to being surprised. I mean, when you look at the, the U.S. tax code, right? There's this idea that it's supposed to be every year you hear about these legislators trying to make things more simple, right? Well, that never happens. It's a good talking point. It's good for vote getting, pushing agendas or narratives, but it's just, it's never the case. And when you look at the code section, depending on who you talk to, the numbers are, you know, there's probably in excess of 9,000 tax regulations, right? That need to be navigated by, for the most part, the accounting firms, right? And so I give them a little bit of a break that they can't know everything, right? They're, they're good at their general tax and accounting and auditing, but there's certain areas of the code that they just, it's almost like being a physician, right? The body of, of medicine, the information of medicine out there is exceptionally large, right? And if, you went, if we went to a general practitioner, they're certainly going to know the anatomy of a knee, right? But if you needed to have some work on your knee, most likely they're going to, they're going to, incentivize, you're not necessarily incentivize you, but encourage you to go talk to an orthopedic, right? Well, that's really how we, we developed corporate tax advisors. You know, we focus on outside of those 9,000 9, code sections, we focus on three of them and we go very deep in it. So relative, you know, back to answering the question, no, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that, that people are unaware because CPAs, again, they can't know everything. There's so much out there, but it is surprising to me that that over the years, you know, now, now this legislation has been out there for 30 some odd years, over three decades, that, and though I see the numbers increasing, right, there are more, more companies that are aware and taking advantage of it. But part of the reason too, I think is back to no, I'm not surprised, is that this naming, this parlance that the uh, Internal Revenue Code comes up with, you know, this thing that we're going to talk about today is called the Federal Research and Development Tax Credit. And at the time when it was incepted, back in 1981, when Reagan was in office, it made sense back then because some people, some people will call it the winding down of the second Cold War, right? Most of the innovative spend was happening on the government side of the equation. And after those, kind of, those oceans kind of quelled, fast forwarding to 2001, 2003, when this area of the tax code was revitalized or reformulated, it was for the purpose, the incentive of pushing design activity to the private sector, right? Incentivizing public or private business owners to start getting in the business of innovating, spending dollars for innovating, and the federal government incentivizing them to do so. And so the name has never changed. At that point in time, in order to satisfy and qualify for the credit, you had to be doing things that were new groundbreaking, um, pushing the boundaries of known science at the time. And at the time, you know, it was, you know, for the Fortune 500 companies or research houses, you know, they're doing 
when most people think about R&D, they think white lab coats, petri dishes, the scientific method. That was what was incentivized back then. Well, fast forward to the new legislation today, the rules have changed, but the name hasn't. And so most people, when they hear that, they go to their instinct, go to their knowledge of what they understand about R&D and just, and this goes for CPAs too. They hear it and they say, Nat, my client's not doing any of those things. They're not doing it in the R&D without really getting granular and understanding what the code says. So more, to answer your question more pointedly, Randy, I'm not surprised for the most part, but I am surprised a little bit in the fact that there are more firms taking advantage of the, of the research credit. And you would think that the information and news of people talking about the success that they've garnered from taking advantage of the incentive would would move more quickly. So I guess that's my that's my answer. That's your answer. No, I well that that certainly makes sense. So what are some of the the misconceptions that people have or that you think accountants run into when they tell their clients, oh well no, you don't qualify for that. What are the biggest misconceptions that maybe our listeners need to be aware of that would that would basically say, well, yeah, you may think that this particular issue isn't a qualifying event, but it actually is. Would you be able to kind of walk us through that just to give us an idea? Yeah, I think the biggest misconceptions, number one, like I said, the parlance or the nomenclature that this acronym R&D throws people off first and foremost. They think in the laboratory sense and they kind of self-assess that, hey, we're not doing those types of activities, number one. Number two, they think that if they do somewhat apply, that the nature of the work that they're doing has to be groundbreaking, that they use this word, we're not innovative, right? We're not as innovative as a high-tech firm. Yet, when you really look at the word and define and unpack what innovation means, it's not as daunting as the word might, you know, the gut reaction of people here in innovation. Innovation, simply put, is looking at what's not working, creating change. It's information shakeup. It's new means, new methods. And every company in the United States of America, and I, and I say this when I'm trained around the country, and I make a very bold statement, Randy. I said, if you're a U.S. company, you offer a product and service on U.S. soil, and you're successful, i.e. you're making money, then there has to be a credit research credit available to you. Has to be. I can say that so confidently over the years because Companies today that are continuing to thrive, they're continuing to stay and be competitive, right? They, they, can't do, they can't do that without always and consistently looking at the ways that they do things and looking for ways to do the way they do things faster, cheaper, doing more with less, right? Mm -hmm. Adapting to competitive challenges. And if they can't figure that out, then more often than not, industry is going to pass them by. But if they are succeeding, again, purposes of growing labor, growing revenue, they're doing those things. What they're going to find is that the things underlying behind their success is going to be attributed to what Congress calls R&D today, the types of activities that help a company grow and stay competitive. So the misconception, again, is going to be one, the name. The second conception is going to be that they're not an innovative firm. And the third, I would say that uh, misconception is that they have it handled because they have a tax department, they have an accounting firm, and the accounting firm knows everything relative to the U.S. tax code. And if there was something out there they should be benefiting from, that their accountant would be doing that for them. So that would be the third. And that's still a very important one. That's probably the biggest one. That's probably it the biggest be. misconception, be. right? Because you, it might, you, it might you, be. you assume that you're getting really good advice from 
you know, a CPA or, or a tax accountant. And I'm not saying that you aren't, but it just, I mean, it, I was always taught and I, I kind of go back to my days of being a, a, a real estate broker. When, when people would come to me and say, yeah, I've got an attorney that's going to help me with my closing, you know, a buyer or seller would say that. And the first thing out of my mouth would be, are they a real estate attorney? Oh, no, no. They do something else. They do corporate finance. They do this or that. And I'm like, it's probably not going to be a good idea. There is such a, a benefit when you go with a specialist. So while you guys, you guys being corporate tax advisors might not be the appropriate company to come to to handle general accounting practices for a firm, you are certainly the people to reach out to, the specialist, and I'm using air quotes now, that a firm should reach out to for advice and guidance when it comes to these important matters, especially as it pertains to research and development. Certainly, I agree with you. And that's really why me and my partners established the firm, CTA, as that specialty firm. Yes, we have CPAs. Yes, we have tax attorneys. But we also staff degreed engineers for the sole purpose that we want to be an augmentation to a client's or prospective client's tax team, finance team, as well as their CPA, right? We don't, it, it's very much built to be a, a mutual benefit in seeing us as an augmentation or an extension to their firm and not competing in areas of general taxation. Yeah. And so have you found yourself coming alongside a lot of CPA firms that will will bring you in to help them out or they are asking by their client, the design firm to bring you guys in to help out with the thing that you guys know so well, which is R&D? Absolutely. I mean, the nature of how we go to market is we you know, grow our network of, of accounting firms that know or feel most comfortable outsourcing this expertise because to, to them, it's a value add, right? They're, they're looked at it by their clients as trusted advisors. And many of the firms out there will say, hey, listen, that's Mr. Client. It's not a, an area that we specialize in. I'd be more comfortable introducing you to a firm like CTA. I mean, they're open to doing that because the client, again, looking to their accounting firm as a trusted advisor, respects the fact that maybe they may not know everything and they're bringing in and, and know a network of people that can can bring some ultimate you know, potential more value to them on the side of the accounting and tax work. So yeah, I mean, we, we have a lot of relationships with CPAs. We also have a lot of relationships with industry associations that are also looked at as trusted advisors relative to maybe its ownership transition or the succession planning, whatever the case, whatever the case may be, that have a network of clients that we want would like to bring value to as well. So it's both a, a channel, you know, from the CPA standpoint, as well as industry associations that are touching our people in the design space, the same people in the design space. Okay. Well, so for the design professional or design firm owner that's listening to this particular episode and wondering, hmm, what am I doing that would actually qualify? Are there any patterns that you see come up time and time again with engineering and architectural firms that qualify them for this particular research and development tax credit? Uh, absolutely. When you look at a designer, you know, most people, when they, think, they hear R&D, if, if it doesn't evoke thoughts of white lab coats and feature dishes, it does <laughs> evoke thoughts of, of widget makers, right? Of people making a tangible product. And that's why it kind of throws the design industry out or the people, the thought leaders, the stakeholders, when they first hear that, like, you know, again, we, we sell some intelligence, right? We, we sell design packages. It's not a tangible product. But when you look at the nature of, of the congressional intent of this legislation, the reason that it exists is it's industry agnostic. It's for the sole purpose of keeping certain types of jobs, growing, maintaining, sustaining certain types of jobs in the U.S. 
and why they lay the fact pattern out that says, hey, said business owner or stakeholder, if you can pass these tests, then the credit's open to you as well. Okay, so you just need, you need to do a little bit more education or understanding what Congress, Congress's definition of R&D, not what you're going to find in Wiki, not what you're going to find in the Webster's Dictionary. And the pattern is simply this, that these companies are being successful. They are being pushed by competitive, competitive pressures, and they are building our economy, right? When you, you think about designers, they are by nature innovators, right? They're looking at what's not working and creating change. Right. And just those two aspects alone qualifying from the research credit. You're going to find breadcrumbs at every single thing that they do. Every single design phase that they do is going to, at some level, qualify them for this research credit because it's driven primarily by direct labor expense, the people doing the work. And because designers are the nature innovators and a higher percentage of their time over the year is, is looking at ways to do something better, getting to an appropriate final answer, based on facts and circumstances that are always unique because the, the, the earth is always changing, right? Whether it's weather-related, soil-related, geography-related, there's always some sort of difference that's going into it uh, that has to be evaluated in the design package. And there are people figuring these things out, right? So it, hopefully it answers your question, Randy. They are primarily the number one kind of poster children, if you will, for R&D. The next people would be, again, in high-tech and software development. Um, yeah just by the nature of what they do. No, no, that, that definitely helps. So walk me through, you come to my firm, sit down with me. How long does it take you to kind of ascertain or figure out if there's even, if there's something there for you guys to work with from an R&D standpoint? Or is, is, it, is it rare that you go into a firm and, and are not able to identify some potential research and development tax credits? Very rare. I'm almost know intuitively, mainly because our pure focus is design. We've been at this in this industry for 16 years, so it's easier to answer that question today than it was when we first started, right? Yeah. We certainly believed designers being innovators and they're growing that there has to be some R&D there, but back in the day, you had, to, you, had to, you had to ask more questions. Now, we ask not as many questions relative to whether we think they're qualified or not. We really then start really diving in and asking questions about how they go about their design effort. I guess the best way to answer that, Randy, is this. The four-part test, or if the congressional the congressional legislation, and for anybody that's listening to this podcast, if you're ever bored, bouts of insomnia, where are you going to find this particular incentive that Randy and I are talking about is in Internal Revenue Code Section 41. In layman's terms, all it simply says, everybody, is that R&D, based on Congress's definition, is the development of a new or improved business component, okay? It's just a fancy way of saying new or improved design, new or improved process, new or improved software, new or improved technique, new or, new or improved formula, new or improved invention, okay? And let's focus on product. Product is what you make and or sell, and that's the design package, right? So if you think about the designer, there's always a new or improvement to a current design. Right? It, it just, that's the nature of what they do. And it goes on to further define in the tax code that that design and the labor dollars tied to making that design happen will qualify if it passes for distinct tests. And so let's just focus on the first test. It simply says, it's called the permitted purpose. It says the taxpayer. Whenever I say taxpayer or anybody, I think about the stakeholders. Think about you as a principal. Think about the engineers or technical folks working on a design. Okay? That's what I mean by taxpayer. 
It says you guys need to be attempting to do something new or improved to that design function, performance, reliability, or quality. Okay, attempting is a key word. It highlights risk. You're not doing the design for the fun of it, right? You're trying to figure something out for the paying client. It's either a new design or it's an improvement to, to the design. And more specifically, it's new or improvements to the function, performance, reliability of the design. And so I, I can get to the answer very quickly. And when I, when I lay this out in front of a stakeholder, shareholder, principal engineer, what have you, what do they say? They say, well, we do that all day long. That's what we do. We're always attempting to do something new or improved. So it's very quick. It's a simple process to get them to start answering the question that I already know intuitively just because I've, or instinctually, because I've been at this so long. It doesn't take them long to start opening up their brain and saying, well, gosh, yeah, this, this R&D name is throwing me off. We do these things all day long. Yeah. No, man, that's so it's, it's almost, you must get excited every time you enter into a company because it's like a challenge for you to find something that uh, you can kind of sink your teeth into and help that firm out with. Oh, I really do. And, and it's a nature, it's not a nature of me saying, hey, you qualify on the front part other than I can say that because, you know, said ABC engineering firm, we've got XYZ and all the other flavors of engineering firms that are, that are benefiting significantly and confidently every year. So that means just by nature, you guys need to be also. But I get them, running them through the four-part test, I get them to start, I have them answer the, their own question, right? So the, the first one, the second one is called technical risk, technical uncertainty. You have to pass that test. And so I'll, I'll ask the taxpayer, and basically what it says is the taxpayer, the engineers, the designers, need to be endeavoring to discover information that was uncertain when they started the design effort, right? And they satisfy that test through what we call the appropriate final design. So based on the facts and circumstances, what is the best approach in designing this building, this facade, this, you know, whatever the structure is? And I'll ask the question, are you guys trying to discover information that you don't know at the onset of the, of the effort? Yes, we are. And all you're relying on tech, uh, relying on principles of engineering or engineering and science, the congressional and kind of direction or intent of this legislation. Yes, our people are degrees, certified, licensed, they're engineers. And they don't even need to be licensed. They just need to be relying on those principles. So I lead them through whenever they start asking me questions like, well, Dawson, we do primarily this. Does this qualify? I go, well, let's find out. I'm going to run you through the four-part test and, and you answer these for me. So you're really getting them confident thinking about their universe instead of me pushing them because I drink the Kool-Aid. I've been at this for a very long time. I know, the, I know what, the, what the answers are going to be, but it's best them getting to the answer on their own. Yeah. And yeah, it is exciting. It has to be. And as I'm looking at your website, I mean, certainly, I, and we will put this in the show notes and, and we'll get Dawson's contact information at the end, but their website is corporatetaxadvisors.com. There's a section in there under architecture and engineering, and, and Dawson and his team go through a litany of examples of the types of projects that most likely are to contain some type of qualified research. And they include everything from green building design to lead certification, foundation engineering to mitigate the effect of unstable soil or sand, HVAC system design or airflow and energy efficiency lighting system design for energy efficiency. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If you're listening to this, you're saying you're, you're, you're talking yourself out of getting in contact with these folks here at Corporate Tax Advisors. And they're not paying us a dime to say this, but I just know Dawson. I know the kind of guy that he is and the kind of firm that CTA is. And I've talked to people, individuals that have 
been introduced to Dawson and his team and have really, truly benefited from the wisdom and knowledge and just the practice of what they do from a tax savings perspective. It's a game changer. And and that's putting it mildly. And I don't want to hype it up too much, right? Because then people will start calling Dawson and expecting him to move mountains. He might be able to move hills, maybe not mountains, but he can move some hills and do some things for you that you didn't think you could do. But I, I would really encourage you to you know, listen to this podcast a couple of times because there's some really, there's some really good information in here. And we will also share a bunch of stuff from their website on the show notes because it's certainly worth taking a closer look at. If you didn't think it was for you before, hopefully after you've had a chance to listen to this podcast and to, to kind of hear from Dawson and his heart and what he's trying to do for this design industry space, you'll realize that it will be worth your time to do your due diligence, to make sure you're taking advantage of everything that's available to you and your firm. Did I put that out there right, Dawson? You did. I appreciate that. At the end of the day, you know, digressing to how we, how we started this conversation around education and awareness, that's really my goal. And not to compel, not to push. At the end of the day, I know this. These business owners and shareholders, stakeholders, leaders have made decisions, many decisions, without me in the mix, right? And so my goal is to provide them with the information that they need, they and their colleagues and their CPA need to make a decision. They don't need me pushing them. They don't need me compelling them. I just, I want to put the facts out there, raise their education, raise their awareness, enough so, so they can start talking to peers of theirs around the country that might be taking advantage of this, this sort of an incentive and them, you know, getting to a point where they're, they're making the best decision for them. So yeah. Education awareness is what is what I'm all about, what we're all about. That's awesome. So what is the best way for uh, individuals that want to reach out to you? What's the best way for them to connect with you besides the website, which is corporatetaxadvisors.com? Would email, phone call, what would you recommend? A phone call is, is great email too. So you know, around the country, probably as much as you, Randy, maybe more. I, I'm not certain, but uh, my office is, is always traveling with me. Okay. Uh, we are based in Huntsville, Alabama, but again, I'm on the road a lot. I'm, I myself am based in Kansas City. My phone number, if you want me to provide that, I can. Sure. Uh, sure. Okay, so it's, it's 913-461-6179. And then my email address is Dawson S, as in Frank, so D-A-W-S-O-N-S at corporatetaxadvisors.com. And just for everybody that might be a little confused by it, Dawson is my first name. It was a gift from my great-great-grandmother. That was her maiden (laughs) name. So it kind of throws people off. Oh, no, that's perfect. That's perfect. No, I love that. Well, thank you very much. Any last thoughts that you'd like to leave with our audience uh, with regard to to what you guys are doing? And and also, I mean, the future of the industry, I mean, it's it's changing. I know you're heading to some, some events and some conferences over the next few weeks. And where do you think the industry is headed with regard to a lot of what you guys do from an R&D perspective? Yeah, I think the education is starting to crescendo. You know, for the longest time since 1981, when this legislation first came out, it was always in a temporary status. So the legislative body had to get together every year to say, hey, is this viable? Is this working? Do we want to keep it going? And there's always this question by taxpayers, business owners, that because it's in a temporary status, I'm not going to do anything with it. Well, in 2016, there was a major change in the regulation. It was permanently codified, right? It means it's something that's strategically, tactically, that you guys should be looking at every year. And I see more firms doing it. I see them asking more questions. I see firms that had looked at it prior, 
but because of the temporary status or, or because of all the, the law read at the time, they just weren't taking advantage of it. They're getting back into the mix today. And so I highly encourage it. Again, this incentive, the congressional intent is to maintain, sustain, and grow U.S. jobs. Even though it's called the R&D tax credit, you could call it a U.S. wage expense credit. It's driven primarily by wage expense and less reducing the cost of that realized W-2 wage each year. And it's not a, um, and it's not an entitlement. I mean, qu- quite honestly, I, I call it a matter of legislative grace. If you have the right facts, you have the right circumstances, then the credit is available to you. And what the Treasury has found is that for every dollar in, in, incentive they provide to a business, shareholder, et cetera, about $1.30 comes back in the form of increased tax revenue for the Treasury. So it's a win-win. And why I hope that companies will continue to investigate and ask the question, not just of, of practitioners or providers like, uh, like my firm, me and myself, but ask your peers around the country, right? Have they heard of this legislation? Are they taking advantage of the legislation? Because I think what they'll find is that in five out of 10, though it used to be only two out of 10 or one out of 10 when I was talking this game, 50% of the time, they're going to hear someone that's going to, in their same situation, that went through the exploration and are now confidently taking advantage of every year. So I just encourage people. Again, it's out there. It may not be for everybody, but at least take a look. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's a great way to wrap it up. I, I really appreciate you taking time to to share with our audience. I always ask questions about the guest of the show just to get a little flavor for what they're all about. But, but Dawson, I'm going to put you on the spot. What was the last book that you read that really impacted you? Oh, my gosh. The last book that I ever... <laughs> there was a book by... Well, it's a couple. So I'll get into some, some nonfiction and some fiction. But the fiction I, I love, uh, have always, and I tend to read this every other year, is The Count of Monte Cristo, uh, Dumas. I l- absolutely love that book. Sure. Uh, but then there was an, there's another book by, uh, I think it's Daniel Kahneman. It has to do with bias. Thinking Slow and Fast, I believe, is the name of the book. And it just has to do with us, uh, humanity, and how we have these intrinsic, built-in biases to things that we hear, right, that kind of collude or can make gray our decision-making process. And it was highly interesting. In fact, it was introduced to me by a client of mine out of uh, Fort Worth that actually owns an engineering firm and how he's trying to implement change, decision-making change within his organization. So I thought, you know, I'd, I'd read it. It's an interesting read. I, I don't know if I got the name of the title right. Yeah, you did. Um, it's, it is. It is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And we'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. It, I've heard of this book and I've heard really great. good things about it. It's a really good book when it comes to, you know, helping individuals from a decision-making perspective, especially at a leadership yeah. space. And it deals a little bit with behavioral psychology, things that I really enjoy thinking about and talking about. So I appreciate you sharing that. It's definitely a, a worthwhile book to check out. And I encourage our listeners to, um, to check it out, but we'll put a, we'll make it easy for you. You go to the show notes for this particular episode. We'll put a link to the book there and uh, you can thank Mr. Ferco if you meet him in person for recommending it and helping you out. Well, I appreciate you. Appreciate everyone listening in. Randy, good platform. I enjoy yep. the discussion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dawson, thank you so much. Well, there you have it, folks. Dawson Ferco uh, from Corporate Tax Advisors. He is the man. He's not the man next to the man. He is the man. So I certainly encourage you to connect with him. All of his contact information will be in the show notes for this Encourage Build Grow podcast. And we appreciate you. If you are a design professional, 
you're listening to this, please share this podcast with someone else that you know in the industry. Because as I always say, when I go to these trainings and I ask people to raise their hand to tell me if they know someone that does work similar to or exactly like the work that they do, 80% of their hands get raised. So I want to encourage you to share this information, share this podcast, share what we're sharing with a friend because sharing is caring and we appreciate you so, so much. This is another episode of the Encourage, Build, Grow podcast where we help design professionals become better leaders, better communicators, and ultimately better people. I will see you next week. Peace. Oh, oh.